Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Strategies for Improving Care Coordination for Individuals with Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities, or IDD. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 9, 2022. In this podcast, Dr. Steve Deutsch, the Chief Medical Officer of Partners Health Plan of New York, discusses a managed care approach to improve the quality of care for persons with IDD. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Steve Deutsch. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Partners Health Plan, and I'm going to be talking about managed care and its value in dealing with the health and social issues incurred by the IDD population. Partners Health Plan, just to give you a little background, is a managed care plan that's exclusively dedicated to serving persons with IDD. It went live in April of 2016, and it's the only program nationally that exclusively serves duly eligible individuals with IDD. We have about 1,650 members. Managed care really, really is the platform that's necessary, I think, for dealing with the IDD population. It provides the appropriate setting to gather data, key elements regarding health issues, utilization, and cost related to the IDD population. And it's this data that helps to identify suboptimal healthcare outcomes among the IDD population. And in identifying these outcomes, this data is used and we used it to build new programs that we thought could, in fact, improve the outcomes for our members and improve the quality of care, and at the same time, provide the baseline to, in fact, measure these outcomes. As we were putting these programs together, it became very apparent that no one discipline had all the skill set to implement these programs and that we needed an integrated clinical approach, a collaborative approach among multiple disciplines. So I'm going to be talking for the remaining of my talk about these four programs that we've put together. I'm going to give you some outcomes and some key takeaways. In managing people, our members that are inpatients in hospital and skilled nursing facilities, our main tool is our clinical round. We do this every Thursday. It's based on a census which comes out on Monday or Tuesday, and we review all of our members that are in these facilities. It's a multidisciplinary team that participate in this process. It is really, really critically important. We look at various things and you can look at this slide and you'll see we look at the medical status, we look at management approaches, dealing with various issues. But rather than talk about this, I, I want to give you some observations uh, after doing this for a significant period of time that we deal with on a, a daily basis and that we are trying to improve constantly. First of all, with regard to admissions, somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of all hospital admissions for patients with the IDD population are inappropriate. There are multiple reasons for these inappropriate admissions, ranging from the inability of a member to communicate, complex medical history without a lot of records to go with it, inappropriate admissions for postictal depression after seizures, and also things like a G-tube falls out. Why are we so intent on and resolving the excessive admission process? Because we've experienced with these clinical rounds spirals of members who deteriorate both medically and physically after they've been hospitalized, and it's really amazing to see what happens to some of these people, and it starts a vicious cycle of rehospitalizations, et cetera. As far as concurrent care issues go, 
the hospital staff. We've worked hard to educate them because there's often a lack of understanding or ability to meet the needs of the IDD population. And this can be related to time constraints in the hospital, communication, or quite frankly, some of the behavioral issues from our members. Some of the behavioral issues that our members exhibit in the hospital are outbursts or misinterpreted outbursts trying to communicate or outbursts related to fear. They also fail to eat, and then that raises the issue of G-tubes, or they fail to participate in physical therapy, and that raises the issue of deconditioning an increased number of people that need to go on to a skilled nursing facility program. The staff oftentimes, because of functional disabilities, fails to mobilize mobilize our members as much as they do non-IDD people, and as a result, again, they get deconditioning and we see skin breakdown. As far as medical regimens go, you've heard my predecessor say that complicated medical regimen, and that's putting it mildly, often compounded by psychotropic drugs and a lack of understanding of these drugs, even on the hospital staff in the hospital, and also a lack of information to reconcile drugs from outpatient to inpatient. We deal with lack of advanced directives, and a number of our people are over the age of 55. We deal with social issues related to identification of a guardian or bureaucratic processes if there is no guardian. We've had to deal with social issues related to caregiver capabilities, even to the point of wondering if the admission was related to deteriorating caregivers. Many of our people who are older have even older parents who, again, are becoming incapacitated. Also, in discharge planning, we have issues related to people going back to the group home, the residence that they were in. There's either a lack of staff or training for that staff because of a new condition that the member has incurred. There are physical barriers related to getting somebody back who was an independent ambulator and now needs a walker. And there's evacuation criteria on a time basis that's set up by the state. Also, we deal with rapidly procuring durable medical equipment. And then last but not least, safety issues related to the patient's previous environment. Is it safe for them to go back or then do they need a different level of care? The next program I want to talk about is our clinical pharmacy medication management uh, program. This is a program that we developed. Uh, we started late in 2017 and have expanded it since. And it's a program uh, that is done by the clinical pharmacist on our team. And they do what we call a comprehensive medication therapy review. After this, I'm going to refer to it as a CMTR. It's based on current outpatient and or inpatient medications. It is based on a review on a weekly basis of the PDE files that we get from CMS, which shows fills, refills, and drugs, and also whether or not somebody's been taking their medication, whether they've been adhering. It's based on a review of a clinical medical record. And one of the things we did early on is we built a patient profile from claims data. Traditionally in managed care, claims data is used more for utilization numbers. It's used for financial issues. We were able to take that claims data and build a whole medical record for the patient, including diagnoses, hospitalizations, office visits, medication fills, numerous things, EME, what programs there have been, so that we have a great picture of that member, which the clinical pharmacist can look at and put together with the other pharmacokinetic issues that they deal with. We use this program for transitions of care from the hospital or from the nursing home. We use it sometimes. We ask for the medication regimen from the hospitals. We're doing rounds because the pharmacists suspect that the medications may have been the cause of the admission. We do it for polypharmacy, uh, and we define polypharmacy as more than eight medications. We do it for the management of chronic conditions, and if a staff or provider requests a CMTR. Now, that once the CMTR is done, it's graded. We have a grading system based on the reasons we put down as high, medium, and low. 
all of the CMTRs, regardless of how they're graded, are in fact are in fact sent to the providers. However, when it's high or when it is medium, we expect a response from the providers. They may agree with the pharmacist. They may say, I'll follow up with the patient. They may say, I didn't prescribe this. But we have found lots of issues with people either over-prescribing, being nice because they thought they were filling prescriptions, et cetera. Gratifyingly, about 85 to 87% of the providers send back their responses. So that is really very, very helpful. But these CMTRs find all kinds of things. The most common one, about 22% is medication interactions. About 22% is what we deem ineffective medication. About 17% is unnecessary medication. And it goes from there. The next one is needing additional medication. So it's not only taking it away, but sometimes it needs to be added or the doses need to be adjusted. And we have found multiple admissions related to medication, psychotropic drugs, for instance, causing hypothermia, misinterpreted as a sepsis, a syncope and dizziness, bleeding, arrhythmias, I can go on and on, drug interactions which cause psychiatric admissions because of aggressiveness. So it's really a very worthwhile program. The next program is a more traditional one that is in a lot of plans, and it's a care management program, but ours is pretty unique because each person has a two-member team. The clinical team leader, which is a nurse or MSW, who also is the one that participates in clinical rounds, has under he or she four care managers at a bachelor's level. The team itself does an initial assessment of the patient when they first come in and creates a life plan and then every six months reassesses that patient. At the same time, they do a dynamic risk stratification and this determines how many, how often they will do interventions to catch up with the patient, whether it's monthly, whether it's weekly. It depends on the situation. But the key in this model is in fact the collaboration between the care management team, which really deals, for instance, in clinical rounds with discharges through social issues and actually gathering data, even lab data, and collaborating with the healthcare members on the team. It really works well, and they really work as a team, and it's critically important. Last but not least, I want to talk about telemedicine. Now, I want to give you some background in this because I think it's really an interesting process. We started telemedicine long before the pandemic, which has popularized it. We looked at our data in 2016 and 17, and we realized that 53% of our patients who went to the emergency room were admitted. We then reviewed SPARC data from 2015, and that's a database from New York State Department of Health, you know, in New York. And what we saw there was that if you were a non-IDD patient and hit the emergency room, your chances of getting admitted were somewhere between 10 and 16% compared to 40 to 45% for patients with IDD. So a huge difference. We decided we needed to do something about that, decided the best way was to do a pilot program with telemedicine. We put out criteria for a company we wanted to work with, and we came up with a company called Station MD. It's a company that specializes in this process. They are board-certified emergency room physicians who have also had additional training in caring for individuals with IDD. They had developed kiosks that go into residences so they can do with the equipment in those kiosks and training the DSP staff in the residences. They can do virtual physical exams. And for the community, we have an app. And for people who have multiple comorbidities, we can put in equipment so a virtual physical exam can also be done. In addition, the station MD physicians have immediate access to the medical records, the patient profiles that I described for the clinical pharmacist. So when they're beginning to talk to a patient, they know that patient's history, they know their medications, they know their admissions, they know all kinds of information. So this isn't a cold call. A 
whatsoever. The, the pilot program was so successful in 2018 in the sense that out of all of the phone calls, only 11% were sent to the emergency room. 89% were treated in place. It was so successful that in 2019, we offered the program to the entire members. And what happens is this. If medically appropriate, the station MD will treat somebody in place. And this includes prescribing medications, following up in two hours or the next morning, etc. If that person needs to go to the emergency room, as deemed so by the station MD physician, they will call ahead of time, notify the emergency room, give them the history, tell them why they're sending them in. After the workup is done, they will talk with the emergency room physician and they will, in fact, together decide if the patient needs to be admitted. Just a little point in time, what I was told is a lot of emergency room physicians will admit somebody with IDD because they don't know who's going to care for them on the outside if they let them go, even if they could. So it's been very successful and we have a, we also built a financial model and since 2020, the estimated ER and admission cost avoidance from the station ND program is greater than $5.7 million. So let me give you some key takeaways. Number one, data is key to understanding and managing the healthcare and social needs of people with IDD on a population, but also on a member-centric basis. And I'll elaborate that in a minute. Managed care is an ideal platform to collect this data. How successful has this been integrating this whole process using a multidisciplinary team? For instance, since 2018, we've reduced hospital admissions by 42%, down from 413 per thousand down to 239 per thousand. And another number, 30-day readmissions have been reduced by 30%. Again, I want to emphasize that hospital admissions for people with IDD oftentimes are inappropriate and have devastating and lasting physical and behavioral effects. Medication management is a critical component in dealing with the IDD population. The pharmacist, uh, it, when it comes to pharmacokinetics and drug interactions, really know best. Give you an example, out of 500 medical regimens that we reviewed in 2021, 60% had significant findings that could affect the member's health were accountable for admissions or we felt would potentially result in a hospital admission if not changed. And last but not least, telemedicine has been highly effective, reactive. I'm going to emphasize reactive tool for outpatient management of the IDD population. As we gather data, we are now in the process of looking at proactive programs. We've analyzed data from emergency room visits and on key individuals. And what we found that we can deal with urinary tract infections, head injuries, diabetes, and constipation on a proactive basis. In conjunction with Station MD, we've developed treatment regimens. We are training people in the residences of people that have these issues, and we have identified on a centric basis who these people are. And we have programs where, for instance, for urinary tract infection, they get a weekly diptych. If it changes, the nitrates come up, Station MD is called, and they will intercede. This is a very proactive process now to prevent things escalating to a point where it needs, somebody needs to go to the emergency room or getting admitted. And we are using this with our DD providers to share savings. So there's a value-based component now going forward with this proactive process. So I want to thank you for your time. I think uh, all of the speakers have reflected a common theme with IDD, but PHP represents a working model that uh, continues to go on and I think emphasizes the value of managed care and dealing with and coordinating care for the IDD population. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, 
high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.